Take your Bibles and go to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. While you're turning there, um, I uh, have a celebration for us. Over the past two weeks of overnight camp for Marywood Christian Camp, there's been 13 campers who have made first-time professions of faith. Church, let's celebrate. One of my favorite parts of, uh, of Marywood in general is just simply that we get to hear summer after summer of kids who come to know Jesus as their Savior for the first time. Um, let, let's say our memory verse together. And you know what? I, I cheated for you this Sunday. And we're putting it on the screen. If you, if you really want to be legit in this and you memorized it, then don't look at the screen, okay? Are you ready? Um, who, who say it out loud together. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The reference is John 14, 21. Um, Now, if you're looking for an easy place to find that memory verse every week, it's it's both at the beginning of the the week's study in the Experiencing God workbook that we're working through this summer. It's at the end of your book, um, so you can look back there. It's also in your handout that you get on Sunday morning. So we're giving you multiple opportunities to have it in front of you uh, every week. Here's the, here's the verse for next week, okay? It's John 8, 47. And let's actually read this out loud together. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So this week in our work, what we're going to do is we're going to start talking through and, and talking about how God speaks. Um, it, it's, it's not just that God speaks, and we know that he does speak, but we're going to talk very specifically for the next two weeks about how God speaks. A lot of Christians go throughout their entire lives, and they don't really re- realize that, that God speaks. He, he, he speaks through his word, um, and he shows us truth. He shows us where we to go in life, and that's what you're going to look at as we start through this next week. Now, on Sundays, um, as we work through this Experiencing God study, what I've found myself doing every week is, is kind of pointing back to what we learned the last week, and then looking ahead to what we are going to learn in the, in the next week. Um, that wasn't my intention for this summer. In fact, my intention was every Sunday just to look ahead at where we're going. But, um, but the Lord has been doing an incredible work in me as I've been growing closer to him and working through this Experiencing God book. And I would much rather follow what he has for me to speak and to preach out of the overflow and the abundance of what he's showing me. So today is one of those times that I'm just throwing all of my plan out the window and I'm saying, all right, Lord, here's what you've done in me the last week and that's what I'm hoping to share with you today. So we're actually going to look back and we're just going to talk about the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord here for the next little while. Um, A few moments ago, we sang the song, Your Name, and there's a line in there that says, Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Um, that's straight out of Scripture. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. What, is the, what does the righteous man do? Well, the righteous man runs into it, into this strong tower, and is safe. This idea of the name of the Lord this past week has both very, very much fascinated me, but it's also wrecked me. You say, well, why has it wrecked you, Kivit? Well, because I realized afresh and anew this past week that our God is not boring. Anybody else ever had that revelation? God, you are not a boring God. And you say, oh, Kevin, you're not supposed to, you're a pastor, right? You're not supposed to think that God is boring at any point. Well, you know what? Sometimes I need that fresh reminder that our God is a great God and that we can never, ever, ever exhaust all of our God and all that he is and who he is. 
So as I've been working through these, these names of the Lord, um, I've been reading them through over and over and over again, and I'm reminded that the name of our God is powerful and that it is a refuge, that it's our salvation, that it is our hope, that it's our power, that, um, that the name of God, it absolutely never, ever changes, and it points to a God who never, ever changes. The names of God, as they're found all throughout the Bible, show us God's nature and they show us God's character. They reveal to us who God is. One of the activities that we did this past week in our study, by the way, um, I have the wrong notes in front of me. And if there's any chance that the iPad up there has the right notes, I would really appreciate it. Does it have that? (laughs) So this is as far as my notes go. (laughs) Um, while he's bringing that down Rick would you run get my computer that would be great thank you just in case that iPad up there does not have the right notes but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going based off of my memory here for just a moment all right can I do that I was just talking about how um, the names of God as they're found all throughout Scripture show us God's nature and they show us God's character and then as we learn more about God and we learn more about who he is through his names, then we can draw closer to God. And now's when I'm going to find out if I've got the right notes here. Yes, thank you very much. Here, you can take this one with you. Not that it's going to do you any good, but you can hold on to it. Anyway, I apologize for that. They were the right notes a little while ago when I scrolled through to make sure that they were the right. I'm good. Thank you. You're the man, Rick. Thank you. Um, anyway, we're talking about how God's names reveal who he is, his character and nature. That we, we understand God through looking at his names. In the back of the Experiencing God book, there is roughly 350 names of God that's listed there. And I started to count them, um, but I got distracted about halfway through and didn't want to go back and didn't have time to go back and count all the rest of them. And so I'm saying roughly 350. But as I read through these names, one of the things I realized is that there are so many times in life in which God has been my provider. And I remember a time in which he provided something for me as Jehovah Jireh. I I see that God is my refuge. And I think about it and I realize he has been my refuge at specific times throughout my life. Um, God is my advocate. I know that God has been my advocate and it seems like sometimes when I don't have an advocate, he's the all-knowing advocate for me. We also find that God is the defender of widows. And as I'm reading that, I I think back of Psalm 68, verse 5, where the psalmist talks about how God is the defender of widows. And I remember one very specific time in which I'm sitting with a lady who has lost her husband, and she calls out this verse, and she says, I know that God is my defender. And I'm scared, and I don't know what life's going to bring at this point, but I know that God will defend me because he promises that he's going to defend me. I see that God is the light of life. And I think about how before I was a Christian, I was walking in darkness. I was blind to my sin and blind to my need for a Savior. And God became that light that I so desperately needed. I see that he's my support. So even this week, there was a a couple of days where I was feeling really tired and really weak. It had been just a really long period of, of life and ministry in general. And God was the support and he provided the support that I so desperately needed. God is my friend. We know that a friend is a special thing, but there is no earthly friend that can compare to God being our friend. It can't be compared to at at all. And every one of these names that I just mentioned are straight out of Scripture. 
These are names of God that reveal his character and reveal his nature and reveal his power. So we're going to go to the book of Exodus here for just a moment. And what I want to show us first is that there is a person here that we're going to read about that does not know the name of the Lord. And we're going to look at how detrimental that was for him, okay? Exodus chapter 5, uh, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Here's what we find. <clears throat> Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord. The Lord there is the, is the name Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, Moses and Aaron have just come on the scene in Egypt with the purpose of, of following what God has commanded them to do. Um, they are joining God where he's working. And they're working according to God's plan. But when they get to Egypt and they give the message to Pharaoh that God told them to give to Pharaoh, here's Pharaoh's response. Well, who's the Lord? I don't know the Lord. I don't know the name of the Lord. I don't have a relationship of any kind with the Lord. So why would I obey him? In fact, I'm not going to obey him because I don't know him. I want to pause here for just a moment and say that this state that we find Pharaoh in right here is a whole lot of our world right now. You know, there's a whole lot of people who don't know the name of the Lord, and it is really clear in the way that they live their lives. So, so their, their sin, their, their perverse sin is paraded and it is celebrated. Uh, we, we see this play out in the way that, that people fight for their will and their way over the will and the way of any, any higher power than themselves. There's a struggle for individual freedom and for independence and for each person to choose what is right and wrong. They want to be the ones who choose this is my right or this is my wrong. The fear of the Lord and of his righteousness and of his holiness is non-existent in much of the world. But if you really think about it, why would we expect anything different? Because if you look at Titus chapter 1 verse 15, we read there that the unbeliever's mind and conscience is defiled. It's, it's dirty. It's not pure. It's not holy. The beginning of Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how um, the, the, the unbeliever is controlled by Satan. They are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. They are pursuing what Satan wants. In fact, it goes on to talk about how they are a pawn of Satan. So when Satan wants to do something in this world, he uses the unbeliever. He works out, Satan works out his will in them in this world. So why would we expect the world to act any different than the world when they don't know the name of the Lord? Pharaoh is testament to that. He didn't know the name of the Lord. There's no fear. There's no respect of the Lord in him, and he responds accordingly. But what happens next in the story is an epic power struggle in which Satan, Satan and Pharaoh are going to be defeated in a really, really, really big way. Now, we know how this part of the story ends. Um, it ends with the children of Israel being delivered from their slavery to Egypt. Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt are crushed in this process. But that's at the end of the story. I want to I actually camp out for a few moments on a small part that can easily be overlooked. Pharaoh has denied freedom to the Israelites. In fact, to assert his power, following up from the first couple of verses we read a couple of moments ago, Pharaoh has made the work much, much harder for the Israelites. And the people start complaining to Moses. And look down at verse 22 in Exodus chapter 5. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? 
For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses is discouraged. God, you've called me to this place. I've stuck my neck out to obey you. You said that you would deliver the people, but yet here we are, and it's not happening. So Moses is speaking from a place of deep discouragement. You know, something I've noticed in my own life is that deep discouragement often precedes great workings of God. Deep discouragement often precedes great workings of God. And I'm talking about times in which I am filled with doubt about God's promises, um, where I forget his faithfulness. My soul is dry. And it's kind of like the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 63 where the psalmist says, Oh God, you are my God. I know that. Nothing changes there, but earnestly I seek you. Why? Because my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've got to have you, God. And it's that longing for his presence, longing for him to work, longing for him to reveal himself to us. It's that proverbial desert that feels absolutely empty spiritually and that I am forsaken and that I am alone. And this is where Moses is at. But I love that in the middle of this deep discouragement, what does the Lord do? He doesn't give Moses a pep talk. He doesn't say, you know what, Moses, cheer up. It's okay. It's all going to be okay. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't tell Moses to pick himself up by his bootstraps and toughen up. I love what the Lord does here. He simply reminds Moses of his great name and his great ability and his great power. So let's jump down to verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. Moses just had his turn to speak, and he is upset. But now it's the Lord's turn to speak. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I want to pause there for just a second and say this. When God says this, what he's saying is that when he revealed himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he revealed himself as Adonai. Adonai. And it wasn't until um, Exodus chapter 3 where, where God appears to Moses at the burning bush that the first time Yahweh is used. So Moses has experienced something that not, nobody before him has experienced. He's experienced God coming to Moses and saying, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. I am all in all. I am the supreme being. And I love this because Moses has never heard the name Yahweh before. He would have heard Adonai, but he's never heard Yahweh until Exodus chapter 3. And now we're at Exodus chapter 6. We'll continue reading. I also established my covenant with them, God says, to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Remind them, in essence, he says, remind them who I am, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment." 
I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I don't know if you caught it or not, but three times in that whole time, he said, I am the Lord. God doesn't tell Moses to get his act together. All he does, all God does is point to his own faithfulness and his own ability to accomplish what Moses could never do. Moses, you're going to see me deliver my children from their slavery. Moses, I made a promise that I intend to keep to give my children a land all their own. Moses, I will redeem my people with a power that will blow your mind. Moses, the judgment I'm going to hand down to the Egyptians is going to be severe. It's going to show you that I truly am Yahweh. Moses, the Israelites are mine. They belong to me, and so I will provide for them. But all you have to do, Moses, all you have to do is remember that I am the Lord. God wants Moses and his people to be assured that what he says is going to happen is actually going to happen. And the way that he assures them of this is just by repeating his name, I am the Lord. Now, in your Bible, when you look at that word Lord, you're going to see a a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The L is big. The other letters there are smaller. Even though they're capitalized, they're smaller. This denotes Yahweh. It's used about 6,800 times all throughout the Old Testament. Yahweh. It's really hard for us to translate Yahweh from the Hebrew into English. In fact, the Hebrews considered Yahweh to be so sacred that it could not be spoken without them purifying themselves before and after speaking the name. So even in this passage that we just read, they would have purified themselves before reading Yahweh and after reading Yahweh every time. The closest thing that we've got to a translation is for us to simply consider God to be the supreme being that has no comparison whatsoever with any other living thing. He is self-existing, and he relies on no one else to sustain life for him. Every other living being in the entire universe relies on some other living being to sustain life, but God does not because he is the sustainer of life. He's all-powerful. There's no other force in all, the, uh, in all of nature that comes close to his power. His glory is so great that no other glorious thing can hold a candle to the glory of God. So you think about the most precious thing, the thing that has brought you the most awe, A-W-E, the most awe in your entire life, and it, co- it didn't come close to the glory of God. His glory is so great that it can't even be described. And we're going to have to experience it someday personally to be able to understand it. He cannot be stopped from accomplishing his purposes. He does whatever he pleases. By the way, whatever he pleases, including the fact that he made me a sinner, his child. He pleased to do that. His power is superior to all other powers. That is Yahweh. This is the name that in the middle of that deep discouragement and doubt, Moses and the people were to turn to. Moses, quit trying to turn to yourself. You can't do anything. Come to me, because I can deal with this. Forget trying to figure it all out on your own, Moses. Yahweh's got a plan. 
Pharaoh doesn't know the name of the Lord. Um, Yahweh doesn't mean anything at all to Pharaoh. But Moses, you know Yahweh. Better yet, Yahweh knows you. Christian, if I could echo that for us today, if you have been saved from your sin and saved from your separation from God, you have been redeemed by Yahweh, the supreme being of the universe. And you know Yahweh, and Yahweh knows you. So earlier I said the name of God reveals the character and the nature of God. The character and nature of God then calls me to forget myself and to be truly reliant and truly trust in God alone. I don't know about you, but um, I don't have a name that's, that's really well known. I'm okay with that. My name's not that great. There's really nothing about my character and about my nature that's even worth mentioning. Oh, my God, Yahweh, he is worth mentioning. If we take this passage in in Exodus chapters 5 and 6, there's several questions that are applicable that I want to put up on the screen for you today, and you can write these on the back of your handout or you can take notes, but it's just ways for you to reflect a little bit today, okay? The first question is this, do you recall the faithfulness of God? Do you recall the faithfulness of God? That's one of the things that, that God reminds Moses of. God reminds him of his faithfulness. He brings up how he revealed himself to Moses' forefathers, to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The faithfulness of God lasts from generation to generation. He will never, ever cease to be faithful. You know, sometimes we get so earthly-minded that we forget the faithfulness of God. But every single time we recall his faithfulness, he takes our earthly-mindedness and gives us an eternal perspective. So we think about how God was faithful to work in this way or this way or this way in our lives and in other people's lives. And what it does is it reminds us, you know what, where I'm at here and this discouragement that I'm in, it's not so bad. And it gives us an eternal focus. The next question is really similar. It's, do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe the promises of God? Now, God had made promises to his people that he fully intended to keep. He's not going to let them down. He promised to give them a land, an inheritance. And when he he made that promise to Abram so many years before, he promised that all the families of the earth were going to be impacted by Abram and his line. You know, we get into to the difficulties of life with questions, and oftentimes we can't answer those questions, and it comes, becomes easy to forget or maybe even disbelieve the promises of God. Promises like, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, that I will call you to myself. The promise of his presence that goes with us everywhere we go, so no matter how, the, how dark the days are, he's always there. He's promised us a hope and a future, an eternal glory that is waiting for us as Christians when we pass from this world to the next. Do you believe the promises of God? Do you truly believe them with a core belief? It's not just a, oh, I think that God might do this, or God, I wonder what you might do. But do you hold on to the absolute promises of God and say, God, I believe you when you say these things? Next, do you know the name of the Lord? Do you know the name of the Lord? Pharaoh did not know the name of the Lord. Um, He was blind to the fact that his gods that he worshipped paled in comparison. In fact, they were nothing compared to the true living God. You know, those gods that we oftentimes worship in our culture today are, are different. 
Sometimes it's the gods of relationships. Sometimes it's the God of money. Sometimes it's the God of whatever I can build for myself. Sometimes it's the God of, of, of pride. There's all these different gods that we set up for ourselves and we forget that there is only one true God. We live in a world in which there's a whole lot of people who don't know the name of the Lord. In fact, there may be some here today or maybe you're watching online if our internet's working who don't know the name of the Lord. But can I tell you that today could be the day that you come to know the name of the Lord. And you know it not just in a, not just in a, I know about the Lord. I know about the name of the Lord. But you come to a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. Today could be the day that that happens. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God. And here's the promise, he will draw near to you. He's calling you to himself already. It continues on here in James 4, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, it's time to stop living for the world. It's time to stop living in sin. There is saving power in the name of Jesus. So do you know the name of the Lord? And if you don't, then I hope that today will be the day that you seek out somebody who can show you what it looks like for you to know the name of the Lord. But then there's a question here for Christians. Specifically for Christians, do you remember the name of the Lord? Do you remember the name of the Lord? And in this, I think about how much do you try to do on your own? How much do you look at a circumstance and say, all right, if I just do this, and if I just do this, or this, or this, or this, then I hope for these results. When all along, Yahweh is standing right there, and he's ready to flex. And he's ready to show you just how great he is just like he did with the Moses and the children of Israel. The problem is that we often think that, that our name or our greatness is somehow great enough that we can get the job done. We don't need God. We forget the power that is in the name of the Lord. But I would encourage you today, don't forget that it is God who works according to his will and for his glory. And we've got the privilege of being used by him. And man, what a privilege that is.